If you will, open up with me to Haggai. It's an old book in the, uh, it's a little bitty book in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a small book. It's called A Minor Prophet, not because he's uh, not important. You know, a lot of times we think things are minor if they're smaller. But yes, it's just because the book is short. His prophecy is vitally important. And so it's very important for us to understand this little book in the Old Testament that most likely is just two pages in your Bible as it is in mine. So uh, consider your ways is the thought that we will continue through this, through this little book. Now, Haggai's a cool little guy. We uh, unfortunately got to hear uh, last week about how he called those guys on the carpet from the word of the Lord, about the fact that they had abandoned the, the temple of God. God had told them to rebuild the temple. He had given them all the supplies, everything they needed to build this temple, but yet they forsook it. In matter of fact, David took some of the supplies and built their own homes with it. Sad place to be. I, I, I don't want to take what God's blessed me with and just keep it to myself and be selfish. What God has blessed me with, we need to bless others with. And we see here that these folks, the, the remnant that has come back to Jerusalem, they have decided to obey. So today, as we look at this, we're going to look at three major points. We're going to talk about how we need to consider our ways in obedience, how we need to consider our way in fear, and how we need to consider our way in our spirit. And so we'll look at those three points today as the Bible clearly points them out, and uh, we'll walk through this together. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can stay seated. I'm going to read the whole first chapter. Okay, but we're going to focus on verses 12 through 15. That way you'll know where we're at. You know, a lot of times you'll, you'll jump into a text and if you're a first time guest and you're like, I have no clue where you're at. You're in the middle of a book and I don't know where you started at. I don't really know where you're going. So I want you to know where we started at so you know where we're going. Let's look there in chapter one, verse one. And this is a decree, an oracle is what uh, many of the commentators call it. Uh, and he has four of those in this text. And this begins in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses in this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat and do not have enough. You drink and you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house that is in ruins, excuse me, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land, and the mountains, and on the grain, and on the new wine, and the oil, and on whatever the ground brings forth, on men, and livestock, and all the labor of your hands. Now, verse 12, where we're going to be today. 
Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, get this, their God. In the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. There it is, the second one. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Wow, what a change, huh? He calls them these people to begin the chapter. And now he says, I am with you, says the Lord. Verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of, the, of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. May God bless the reading of his word. So we see here again that as Haggai begins to write this letter, and he begins here in verse 12, this as he speaks this oracle, if you will, he first calls out those that are in leadership. It says, and I say he calls them out, here it's the response of the leadership. And obedience needs to begin in the leadership so it may be modeled by the laity. If the leadership is not doing and obeying the word of the Lord, you can guarantee your congregation, your laity, that's, another, that's a big word for lay people, the congregation, uh, they will not be doing it as well. If you've got a half-hearted, lazy leader, it's going to become a part of the culture of your church. So where does it start? It starts with your leadership. It starts with me, church. And if I'm not going to obey the Lord, how dare I expect you to do so? I've got to do what God's called me to do. I've got to preach the Word of God. I've got to love our community. I've got to equip you. If you had an Explore the Bible Sunday school lesson today, Paul very much was talking about his desire for his people there in Colossae to become mature in their faith. And it's very much the desire of every pastor. And if the pastor doesn't have a desire for his congregation to mature, then that pastor needs to step down. I want to see you maturing in your faith. That's the reason why I preach through whole books of the Bible. I can't skip by something and say, well, I don't want to touch that right now. I want you to understand what your pastor feels about certain texts. Because some will skip over them and say, well, I'm just going to tiptoe around this here and that and, and just... You might know how I feel about it. No, you need to know how I feel about it. You need to know what the Lord says about it. And then you need to know how I feel about it. Number one, I need to feel however the Lord said to feel about it. And then I need to live it out and model that. So it writes, uh, Paul, uh, Paul, uh, thinking back to Sunday school. Haggai wrote, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, this is the civil leadership, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, this is the religious leadership, with all the remnant of the people, what did they do? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And, and how did they hear the word of the Lord at that time? They heard it through the prophet. They heard it through the prophet. So not only did they obey the voice of the Lord, they respected the words of Haggai the prophet. And they honored him by being obedient to the Lord. 
God's called us to reach the community. God's called us to disciple. Go ye therefore and teach the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And and teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. God tells us to do those things. The first thing is go and make disciples. Excuse me, I phrase that. Go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching comes as you are making those disciples. That's what we are to do. But it starts with your leadership. It starts with me. It starts with your staff. It starts with the deacons. We are the head servants of a body of service. That's what we are. And so we serve the Lord. And so when you see people, wouldn't it change this world? Wouldn't it change this nation? If we saw our president of this nation fall to his knees and repent of following through the things that he is leading our nation through and truly come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm telling you, it would cause a huge uproar, but I'm going to tell you the church would be, in, would be empowered because you would see the civil leadership stepping up. I'm just going to brag for a minute. I got invited and a few of our congregants went with me, um, and we were invited to go over to a, a meal, a luncheon, <coughs> excuse me, and it was uh, to support a ministry Brother Rick Hudson's a part of called Shepherd's Fold. And we got to hear our governor, Kay Ivey, speak. Listen, I love Miss Kay Ivey. I think she's a great governor. Now, you may disagree with me. That's all fine and good. And, and listen, nobody's perfect. We make mistakes whether we're in leadership or whether we're just walking around doing nothing. We're going to make mistakes, right? So you may agree or disagree with that, but I think she's done a pretty good job with handling so much. I mean, what a crazy world to be having to deal with in a place of civic, civil leadership right now. But she spoke, we get to hear about how our leadership believes in uh, rehabilitation and restoration of individuals that have been incarcerated. And she wants to see it. And that shepherd's fold, man, they've got a 97% success rate of those that come through their program. They get rehabilitated. And it's not just rehabilitation. They teach them like quality trade skills so that when they come out, there is a difference. They are, they are not a detriment to society, but a benefit to society. And even those that get into the program, now I know I'm telling you a lot about Shepherd's Fold. I'm getting a little bit off point here, but I'm just, just saying this. But 92% that even get into the program, but later because of behavioral issues or whatever, 92% still succeed. That's a pretty big deal. I was really glad and, and blessed to be invited to come and be a part of something, to hear about something that I didn't, I didn't know much about. I mean, Rick's talked to me, Brother Hansel. They've come to the office and talked to me about that. Man, what a blessing it was to get to hear them talk about that and the benefit it has to our society. And society has to be changed by leadership. We see Zerubbabel and Joshua stepping up and obeying the voice of the Lord and the words of Haggai, the prophet. We need to understand obedience trickles down, but yet, but yet better pours down from the heights when your leadership is leading. And listen, God's word is powerful and effective. It tells us in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. And they obeyed the voice of the Lord. And this was all obeyed, not a partial group, 
versus a part or a partial obedience. This was everybody. It says all of them, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all. It doesn't say some. It says all the remnant. We all need to get on board with the goal and the mission of the church. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, to teach them to observe all things He has commanded. And lo, Jesus, the Lord, is going to be with us to the end of the age. We all need to be a part of that. That's not just your leadership. It's not just your leadership. It's everybody's responsibility. But it's my responsibility to model it first. We have got to be on the forefront of evangelism and discipleship and submission to the Lord's will. And you see that here with Zerubbabel and Joshua and then all the remnant. And they did that. And as the Lord their God had sent him, just as Haggai had been sent. And you notice here, it says the Lord their God. It is now translated. You remember the first first part we we read, it said uh, these people. God said these people or this people, depending upon what your translation is. He was not happy with them. But now Haggai's talking to him and it says the Lord, their God. It's now become disconnected to a possession. God is now theirs and they are, the, and they are God's. How has that happened? It comes through obedience. God desires obedience over sacrifice, the scripture tells us in the Old Testament. So when we obey, Jesus says, show your love for me by obeying me. If you're constantly kicking back and you're saying, I'll do that later, like I said last week, slow obedience is disobedience. If you're constantly not obeying the word of the Lord, then listen, you're constantly going to be disobeying God. And then we see it says in verse 13, well, uh, the latter part of verse 12, it says, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. The people feared. So first off, all the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And then we need to consider our ways in fear. And the people feared the presence of God. You know, Scripture tells us in Proverbs 9.10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fearing, it's, it means the submission to the authority of God. It means awe because of God's power and might. That's what it's talking about. They have seen the power and the might. And it takes the power and the might of God for leadership who was once blatantly disobedient for leadership to become obedient. I mean, goodness gracious, how much would we fear the Lord if honestly what I said a minute ago about our president and other leaders in Washington, if they truly came to faith in Jesus Christ, man, what kind of fear would fall on the church and on the nations? It would be a great fear. It would be awe. It would, it would fall upon us all. We would be, on one hand, I think we would be shocked. And that's another aspect of fear. But yet at the same time, we would think, wow, what a, what's going to happen next? And the people fear the presence of the Lord. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Haggai, the, the message and the messenger are explicitly linked together. And the message has to become a part of me before it becomes a part of you. The message has got to become a part of the speaker before it becomes a part of the receiver. It's, it's got to be who I am. It's got to be how I am living. Listen, if I come to bring you a message I'm not passionate about or I don't have a concern about, how many people you think is going to follow through or do anything with that? Not many. You ever sat underneath a boring teacher? Don't raise your hand. There's, there's teachers in the room. Don't do that. But listen, have you ever sat underneath a boring teacher? I have. Oh, my goodness. 
You know what usually happens when you sit underneath the boring teacher? You get distracted real easy, right? You don't pay a lot of attention. And then, unfortunately, you're probably going to get in trouble by said teacher because the teacher is now looking at everybody else to see if they're even paying any attention. Because if you're a passionate teacher, they're going to be engaged. They're going to be engaged. They're going to be uh, paying attention and absorbing what you're saying. When, when we think about the messenger, we think about the message that comes, we need to be passionate about Jesus today. We can't come and say, well, if, if I can get around to talking about Jesus, I, I may just talk about Jesus. Probably not going to happen. But if you have a joy in your heart because your life's been changed, somebody's going to say, what in the world's going on with you? You're weird. Well, let me tell you about how to be weird with me. Listen, it's, it's okay. Matter of fact, one of, my, one of the guys I used to listen to a lot that's a pre- preacher, he wrote a book called Weird. His name's Craig Rochelle. And, and it was a good book. And he's talking about we need to be odd. The Bible talks about that we are supposed to be peculiar people. Peculiar means weird. We shouldn't look like the world or act like the world. I mean, we're going to have some similarities. Don't get me wrong, because we're human beings and we, we have to do life. We work jobs and things of that nature. But, but there should be things that are obviously set apart and different about us. We're peculiar, we are peculiar people. You know, the Bible tells us, I think it's in 1 Peter 2.11, we are aliens and strangers under this world. I don't know, aliens are a little strange sometimes, you know. They're different. A lot of times their language is different. You know, their, their culture is different. Their clothing, clothing is a lot of times different. You know, we're aliens and strangers under this world. Now, that's not talking about UFOs kind of aliens. You know, one time when I was young and didn't know no better, uh, I taught a lesson and used that. I was pretty, pretty goofy. But as the Lord brings you along, you learn. But it's talking about the, the foreigner in your land, aliens and strangers, okay? And we know that today, especially in our society today, with, with, we have a lot of immigration and things of that nature, some through the correct portals and many through uh, the wrong ways. But nonetheless, uh, we know that there is a different culture. There's different languages. There's different, different help, really. I mean, you think about that. There's so many different things. We, we should be different. And when we're different, it's because we are tied to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like I said, the message and the messenger are explicitly linked one to the other. And we do that out of fear. And then we speak it just as Haggai did. Just because Haggai's a prophet doesn't mean that you and I do not preach. Now, a lot of people say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, a lot of times in text, unless it's talking about a position, most of the time it's talking about just the heralding of the word of God it means to proclaim it is a herald heart the herald angels sing they're proclaiming that Christ was born to proclaim to preach means to herald and so we should be explicitly tied to that message to the message that God loves mankind enough to come down from heaven to die in our place for our sins and to rise again It's a beautiful, valuable message that we should be tied to for eternity. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. What a great message now for you and I. I am with you, says the Lord. The Hebrew words are different from Emmanuel, but the message is the same. I am with you is what the Lord says to them. And from these people in verse 2 to now, he says, I am with you. 
You know, God, when we when we come in obedience, when we come in obedience by faith, for it is by grace through faith that you're saved. When we come by faith in obedience to Christ, our relationship changes. And he says, lo, I am with you in the Great Commission. He says, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He was telling those, the remnant there, I am with you. Why is he with us in the Great Commission? Why is he there with them at that time? It's because he has tasked them to a great mission. And a great mission that needs to be cooperated with, so it's a great commission. We have a mission on this earth. The mission is to bring pleasure and glory to God. Why was the temple uh, not finished yet? Why was God disappointed in all this? If you go back and look at verse 8, God tells, tells the remnant, He says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple. Why? So that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. We are given a mission to go forth and bring pleasure to God and glorify Him. We go forth and we get these things that God's blessed us with. The gifts, the talents, the skills, the money that you have. You take those things and you give them to the Lord. And He blesses them because you should be and I should be on mission for the Lord. To see people saved, to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them, to do all these things. And he says, lo, I am with you always. Why? Because we're obeying and we're doing what he says. He is with us. The Bible tells us not to grow weary in doing what is good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. Why is that? Because lo, I am with you. Apart from him, I can do nothing. But with him, through him, by him being my strength, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. In the hardships, in the good times, I've learned to be with little, I've learned to be content. With a lot, I've learned to be content. But I've learned that in all these situations, through Christ, I can do all things. And whether it's through building a, a temple that has got only a foundation laid, or whether it's through my life and it's only a foundation of faith, but God wants to build it in me, or whether it's a foundation that's laid in the community that is for the, that is for the community to build it up, God says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's going to be with us. There's no reason to fear. We obey, but this fear is that fear of all, the fact that God has changed their hearts. God's changed their hearts. So this all came about, come about all the people there as the remnant. So what happens in response? We have got people obeying from the top to, to, the, to everybody. We've got people fearing the presence of the Lord. We've got that from the top all the way to the bottom. So then what happens? The Lord stirs them up. Listen, I hope you and I, I hope one day, I hope maybe, it, I, I hope you don't just look to the past and say, I was stirred up one time. I hope that you can say, I'm going to be stirred up again. I want to be stirred up again. And not in frustration and anger because the carpet ain't the right color. I'm talking about stirred up because somebody's lost and they need to be saved. I'm talking about stirred up in your soul and your spirit. And look what happens right there in verse 14. 
Because the Lord said, I am with you there in verse 13. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, the governor of Judah. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. He stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And what they do, they obeyed, they feared, and they got to work. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And they did that on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. He starts out the chapter giving you dates and times. He finishes it out. You know what that means? We need to have goals. We need to set timetables of when we're going to get something done. You know, the Lord's going to stir us up if we pursue Him, if we obey Him, if we fear Him. God's going to give us this stuff as we follow after Him. But so many times, as I said last week, we start a project. We start another mission, and we don't see it to completion. And what happens? The Lord gets upset with us, and He don't bless us. But if we'll stick with the ministries, if we'll stick with what God's laid on our hearts to be passionate about, then He will see us through. He said, I will be with you. Do we not believe that God is with us? I believe so many times we don't. If we lived as though God was truly with us, things would change drastically. How we live, how we act, what we listen to, what we watch, who we hang out with. All these things would change because the Lord is with us. Because he's going to see us through it all, whether it be us making poor decisions or good decisions. No matter what, God will see us through. He'll be with us. Just a few things contextually. I know I've really uh, jumped on into this last point. Consider your ways in your spirit. There in verses 14 and 15, the Lord stirred them up. And, and like you ever, you ever seen somebody stirred up? Boy, they're all, ooh, they're up in a tizzy, some people say. They'll get up in a tizzy. And, and, and hopefully they'll get up in a good tizzy, not one that just causes a bunch of issues. You want folks to get stirred up in the spirit. Well, they're doing something. And, and, and stirred up means to get up to go do something. It means to, uh, one, one of the guys in the commentaries I read, he said it means to arouse the human frame of mind to important activity. And that's what he's done. It, it's the spirit. It's the will to accomplish goals, to become zealous. We need to be stirred up in our spirit. We need to be active, energized people. God has come to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. The devil comes to still kill and destroy. You see people walking around all mopey and gropey and, and looking like, like uh, Eeyore off of Winnie the Pooh and, and all this other kind of stuff like that. And we need, we need folks that are excited. We need Tigger kind of faith. You know what I mean? We need Tigger kind of spirit. Ooh, I want to bounce, you know? Let's, let's get after it. And that's what he's talking about. Stirred them up. Hey, guys, what are we doing? What are we, what are we sitting around for? Let's go get some more utensils. Let's get the resources. Let's go chop some trees. Let's go get some stonework. Let's find some masons, and let's get after it. It says it took them three weeks to get it started. Okay? It's three weeks. If you look at this from where the first message of Haggai came to them there, it was the, uh, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, and he told them all these things about Man, everything you're doing is a waste of time, basically, because you ain't even started working on the Lord's house. You've just been working on y'all. So you've been spinning your wheels. You've been sitting in the same place. God ain't blessing you because you ain't blessing God. And so then he tells them all these things, and they come to this realization. And, and like a cartoon, the light bulb comes on. Well, you know what? You might just be right. And I believe the people repented, 
They turned away from their selfishness and sin and their laziness toward God's house, toward God's house, and they got to work. But it took them three weeks. You may say, well, well, wait a minute now. Didn't you say slow obedience is disobedience? You know, sometimes the Bible talked about that this morning. Sometimes the Bible don't tell you everything. It, it gets you, you know, the, Paul says that he's revealed the mystery. He said the mystery is Christ in you. And through the Old Testament, it talks about the mystery was hidden. Right? That's what that text was talking about. What it's talking about is this. God may, God starts you out at A and you might only see Z. All right, but somewhere along the way, of course, in the New Testament, we get like a couple of, you know, LMNOPs, you know, with, with the gospel. You know, you get filled in a little bit about what God was doing. See, sometimes you don't know the mystery is all there, but yet here it is. Uh, there's a mystery in this, too. Well, what happened in those three weeks between the first message and then them, them getting to work? Well, you got to think they've already used up a lot of the, the resources, possibly invested them in their own homes. They, they've, uh, the, uh, we don't know if. If the resources were put out there and then people, uh, other people have come up and grabbed it in the middle of the night, started adding it to their own homes. We don't know exactly what all happened to that resources. But God called them and he said, go up in the mountain and cut some more wood back in, in the first part we looked at last week. So undoubtedly, all the wood had been used. It had already been donated. Or it sat out and gotten weathered and wasn't good for his house anymore. So something had to be done. So they had to get those things together. It's also possible that they took time to confess their sins and purify themselves so that their work would be pleasing to the Lord. That's what Warren Wearsby said. So it took them three weeks between the first sermon and the return to work. You know, throughout Scripture, the vision, direction, and passion of godly leadership are essential for the accomplishment of any significant task for the Lord. So what do we do with this challenge that we have today? The first thing we need to do is obey, obviously. And what does it mean? What does it mean to obey? I wrote down three things in response to this question that I wrote on my notes. So what do we do with this challenge? When we consider our ways in obedience, when we consider our ways in fear, when we consider our ways in our spirits, what do we do with this challenge? Number one, we purify our hearts from laziness and selfishness and sin. Laziness. To the house of God primarily. And to his people. I don't think they were very lazy in regards to their own homes. But they were lazy to the house of the Lord. I mean Haggai said. You don't. My house. God said through the prophet Haggai. My house lies in ruins. But you run to your house. You know what does that mean? I mean so many of us. We've got man caves and big TVs. And, and all this other kind of stuff like that. And oh we'll run to the house. We'll run the house football games on. This is on, that's on, whatever your, you know, the Food Network's on, whatever your cup of tea is that you like to run home and sit down in front of, yet are we running to the house of the Lord? So the number one thing we need to do is purify our hearts from laziness and selfishness and sin. Secondly, we need to evaluate purposefully how to build from the foundation of our faith. We need to evaluate purposefully how to build from the foundation of our faith. And then the final thing is a pretty simple thing. Get to it. Get to it. Quit putting it off. We know what needs to be done. We know there's a, there's a culture out there that is lost without Christ. We know they need Jesus. And we know we need to share him. So let's quit putting it off. Purify our hearts from laziness, selfishness, and sin. Evaluate purposefully how to build from the foundation of faith. And then we need to get to it. Haggai wrote that. He spoke that, and then he wrote that 
as the word of the Lord. And as I have preached today, this is the word of the Lord. What are we going to do with it? 